Hello, awesome people. Welcome to Embrace the Pivot. I'm Dr. C. Robinson, your host for the show. Join me as we discover what pivoting actually means and how you can embrace your pivot during life's transition. Happy Monday, everyone. Here's to an awesome week ahead. I have three speaking engagements this week. I'm super stoked speaking to a business executive association, hosting a workshop at Penn State. And then I have my own networking workshop that I am hosting with my mom, which is super cool because I grew up with watching her do workshops, webinars, speaking engagements for corporations and it's just so cool to now say, hey, like my mom and I, we're doing this and we're going to rock this workshop. If you want to know more about our workshop, you can check out embracethepivot.org slash events. We're still on two podcasts a week. You can catch me every Monday and Wednesday. I have quite a few interviews coming out, so keep a lookout for that. So this was something really cool that happened to me last week. I had the opportunity to talk to Candace Cameron Beret. Everyone knows her as DJ Tanner from Full House, but she is quite the entrepreneur. And I was so excited that I was able to talk to her. I grew up on Full House. And I was more interested in how she grew her brand behind the camera. And she shared with me tips and tricks. You can check out my article on Candace Cameron Beret at Forbes.com slash sites, S-I-T-E-S slash Cheryl Robinson. And what I really loved is just her grind and her hustle that she did not take the first no or the second no or the third no as a final answer. And as she shared with me, It's a 40-year-long career for her, and she worked hard for everything that she earned. And I just thought that was so relevant, especially now. Everyone just wants things instantaneously, myself included. Sometimes I'm like, why isn't it happening quick enough? But uh, she really, you know, she just said, I worked hard for this. And it's so true because when you're in it and you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you're just going, is this ever going to work? What am I doing? You're not even sure anymore about the choices that you make, but you have to believe so much in yourself and your vision to keep going. And for all of my listeners, please keep going. It is going to pay off. Just keep going. On that note, Today, I'm excited to have with me Amy Sheridan. She's the founder of WINS, W-I-N-S, Media, and voice of amysheridan.com. She's a writer and executive strategist who elevates the visibility of leaders in sports entertainment via owned, earned, and paid channels. So she is joining me today to share how she pivoted from within the sports industry to now owning her own company and help empower females within the sports entertainment industry. So everyone, please welcome my guest, Amy Sheridan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. 
let's get into it. Why don't you share with me your background? How did you, um, throughout your career, now start your own company that provides content for the sports industry? Sure. So I'll give you the shortest synopsis of the story as possible. <clears throat> so, um, and I did note, not to sidetrack, but I noted that you had some sports background as well, right? Um, I so do, yes. We probably have some stuff to talk about. So, um, <laughs> so yes, I, uh, you know, I didn't, <laughs> the funniest thing is where I started is I did not major in sports marketing or business for that matter at all, um, which kind of, I guess, would have been my first big pivot uh, where, you know, I majored actually in um, general science biology in my undergrad um, studies. I quickly figured out after doing an internship in a lab for Johnson and Johnson that this was not where I wanted to be. Right. So <laughs> my grades weren't <laughs> high enough to be a med student. And, you know, like I remember the meetings with my advisors and, and one of them was like, so what do you want to do with this bio degree? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know, like maybe, maybe med school. She's like, hold up like your oh. your grades are not high enough <laughs> she's like you need to know that like way sooner than now I was like oh okay you know like just clueless and so I did an internship I was in a lab I was actually creating um extended release Tylenol capsules right and we were just sort of studying the you know how the Tylenol would disperse over time and I was dying I was like this is not what I want to do Right? It, it does so, sound pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing was, I'm a very much a people person. I'm very much an idea person. And I was like, okay, this is not for me. Like, I, I can't do this every day for the rest of my life. So I sort of meandered over to the marketing department and the sales department within Johnson & Johnson. And I, I felt very happy there. You know, I think part of, you know, finding the direction of your career is like really being serious about what makes you happy. Right. Um, so sometimes you have to try a couple of things that, you know, you don't feel happy about before you get to the thing that you do. So, um, <clears throat> so science major, um, quickly figured out that wasn't where I was going to go. And then I picked up a business minor when I went back to school to finish um, my degree and then started sort of researching the heck out of what I could do with a science major um, in the business and marketing field, right? So then I sort of discovered pharmaceutical advertising where I could use my science background, but also my marketing brain to create, um, you know, ads with very long disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I did that for a little bit and it got me to New York City, which was wonderful. And when I got to New York City, I realized that there were job opportunities in the sports business that were right there in New York, right? Because every professional league has a presence in New York. Um, I ended up getting a job at the NHL, sort of off an online application, right? And that was a major pivot because, like, how did that how did that happen? You know, um, so um, I got into the NHL actually off of a lockout situation where they had unfortunately laid off about half of the league office staff and they were coming back to play and they were hiring sort of at will 
and I had applied for three or four different jobs and got a call for one of them. And this was and all through online that you were applying? This was all through online. I was okay. really young, you know. I thought they'll never hire me, right? But as it turns out, they called me because I had agency experience and they did not care that it was pharmaceutical. And so I got the interview and um, I ended up getting a job with the NHL um, as a very young, you know, person living in New York City, surviving. Um, and sort of my career started there. My sports career started there. So then what were you specifically doing at the NHL? So I was hired to run their online auction business. They had... This was sort of the beginning of e-commerce, right? So the NHL, all of the professional leagues were now in the business of selling their merchandise online. And they had a division at the NHL that was dedicated to that. And they stapled onto that this auction business, which was essentially the eBay for the NHL, where they would sell game-used memorabilia, um, game pucks, you know, things that were touched and used um on the ice and I came in and ran that business you know actually was having yeah like sort of no prior experience running an online business um but I remember the interview I had where you know they brought me in they're like so you apply for a couple different things um you know let's have a conversation and they're like, well, we have sort of an ad support position. We have this like business development position. And after talking to me for about 10 minutes, the hiring manager's like, I think your head belongs in business development. So it was this really cool opportunity to find a place in a business like the NHL that was a fit for me personally. Um, and it really set the stage for the rest of my career because when I got in and I started running that business, I became a business development person, right? Um, and it was where I belonged because that's still where I am today. You know, I'm, I'm very passionate about building businesses and doing, you know, creating strategy um, and sort of putting all the, you know, ducks in a row and putting the ball in play and making things happen, um, you know, for the growth of a business. So, so then, yeah. So then from the NHL, is that when you decided to start your own company or was there like, did you pivot to another team or league and then decide to start your own company? So starting my own company didn't happen for quite some time, but what I can say is that it was in my head for a very long time. Right. I, I wanted to start my own business. Um, it's something I've wanted to do for as long as I can remember. Um, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, so I was like, okay, what is mine going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, did, it, I didn't know. It wasn't clear. And so that first job in sports, no, I didn't start a business after that. I sort of gained that experience. And then I took that experience back to the agency side. So I worked in back in the Philadelphia market where I'm originally from for Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. Um, they were the agency of record for Toyota in the Philadelphia DMA, also nationally, but I was on the Philadelphia team. And the commonality between the NHL position and that position 
was that Toyota is a major sponsor of sports and entertainment all over the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. So I was involved with activating the Toyota brand in the Philadelphia marketplace and being at, you know, concerts and being at the arenas and, you know, standing on the concourse next to a Toyota Prius and sort of, uh, you know, representing Toyota in that way as a sponsorship manager, if you will. Um, and so it's funny, like that was another pivot where I had to sort of gather myself and position myself to appear qualified for that position. Right. So I think that's like, you know, I, in your question set, you ask and not to get too far ahead, you know, how do you, you know, what do you, what do you do to successfully pivot? Um, you know, one of the first things is like, what are you able to take from one position over to the next position to position yourself as highly qualified, right? Um, so it was sort of an exercise like that, um, you know, going that, from the league back to the agency side. And then once at the agency side, what was that aha moment for you to start your own company? <laughs> so I took another, a couple different turns. I went back oh. <laughs> into, yeah, no, it's like, it's a story and I don't want it to go on too long, but so I, I went back to the business of sports. So I started working again for um, doing business development within Comcast Sports Group, which we were overseeing the regional sports nets across the U.S. There were 11 or so at the time, Philadelphia being one, New York, um, you know, all across the country. And we were building out their digital presences online. So I did that. And that was actually my last position in the formal business of sports and entertainment was growing the digital audiences of the regional sports nets uh, within the Comcast Sportsnet umbrella, which then became the NBC sports umbrella. And they took, um, you know, all the staff eventually moved to Stanford, Connecticut. And that was when I kind of made my final pivot out of the business of sports into the world of um, writing and teaching about sports and entertainment. So, um, you know, as, I was transitioning out of Comcast NBC. I had gone and got myself a master's degree through Ohio University. Um, they have a professional master's in sports program that I took advantage of. And that actually allowed me to then pitch myself to Sports Business Journal as a contributing writer. And um, the day that I left Comcast, I started publishing articles for SBJ. So I was sort of always preparing myself for the next thing. Um, I was teaching as an adjunct at Drexel while I was working at Comcast NBC and while I was writing articles for SBJ. <laughs> and all of those things really, you know, cobbling all those things together, that was what led me to my own business, right? It was taking all that experience and then writing about the business for SBJ, realizing that I could kind of hack it as a writer, which was something I'd always wanted to do, but never knew if it would be like happen for me. Um, I was able to write about my, like from the viewpoint of my professional experience, right? So, you know, that was how I got started with writing. And then I uh, somehow you know, landed a full-time teaching position at St. Joe's University in Philadelphia 
again, using my background as leverage, right, to say, hey, I'm qualified. I have the master's degree. I've been writing for SBJ. You know, I'd love to come in and, you know, work within the marketing department at St. Joe's. And so I I was an adjunct there for a few years and then came in full time. I worked full time in that department for a few years. That was a lot of work, um, learning a lot, teaching about the business. And then that was the point, you know, three years into the full-time teaching position. And by the way, um, about to have my third child, right, at that time. Oh. I have three young oh. I have three young children. <laughs> like, this is like a web, right? This is a web. Um, I had my third child, and I stepped down from my full-time position at St. Joe's and decided that now it was time to do my business, right? So I had been writing for SBJ. I had been teaching. And how could I make that? How could I kind of turn that into a business? So that was the work that I had to do. And, um, you know, my business started as me as a freelance writer um, for publications. And then I realized that I could make a lot more money if I was a freelance writer for the businesses instead of the publications. Yep. And so I, so I started doing that, right? I'm like, wait, you know, Comcast is willing to pay me to contribute to their corporate blog and they will pay me for that. And that is a better deal. So um, I started doing that. And um, then, uh, you know, it became more and more clear to me that I could take all of my experience and I could go into a business and say, you know, let me assemble your content strategy. Um, here's why I'm qualified, right? Because I've grown businesses in sports and entertainment. I've taught, I've written about the business and SBJ. And so what I would bring to the table would be what I call the media trifecta, which sounds cheesy, but, you know, content strategy that would encompass owned, earned, and paid media for a brand in sports and entertainment. So, um, you know, I believe you know, very, very passionately believe that a combination of those three types of content are essential to having a holistic content strategy. Um, and so that's what I do, right? So I, I'll go into a brand, I'll go into a startup, or maybe I'll work with an executive in the business, and I will elevate the profile of that brand or that individual using strategic content, whether it's a blog or whether it's um, guest appearances on podcasts like this one, or paid partnerships with publications that make sense for a brand, you know, I get in there and I help them sort of hash out that strategy and then execute that strategy. What was one of your biggest obstacles that you had to manage when you first started your company? I would say one of the, I mean, it's an ongoing obstacle, but one of the big obstacles was making the transition from, you know, the freelance writer to the business owner. And instead of taking, like, when you're a freelancer, all of the work being done is on you, right? So all of the writing, all of the administration, it's all on you. And a business knows what they're getting when they're getting a freelancer. There's only so many hours in a day. So you have a very much a ceiling over you and how much revenue you can bring in. 
unless you literally want to work all day, every day, right? Um, for like a per word rate. Transitioning to a business and being able to sell my concept through in a higher like price point engagement was probably my first big hurdle. So how are you then able to manage that? How are you able to work that through? I think it's a lot of, it's like sort of trial and error or test and tweak sort of, um, you know, my first client that became a higher price point retainer based engagement, um, you know, sort of came off of LinkedIn and was, and it was presented as an opportunity to sort of come in and be a consultant within a company, right? And I didn't go get that opportunity. That one actually came to me. And each, like, so each individual opportunity that either came to me or that I created would then shape my strategy going forward, you know? So, like, it's a constantly evolving strategy that, you know, you know, if somebody gives me an idea today, I might actually just add that into my strategy tomorrow. So it was sort of like that. So I, I started consulting through an opportunity that presented itself to me on LinkedIn. And I was working with a sports tech startup and trying to really feel my way through that engagement as like, okay, I'm a content strategist, but I'm also a writer and I could also consult on your business side, right? I also have this big network in sports and entertainment where I can help you actually get new business. So it was by doing the first engagement that I was able to shape my proposition statement for future engagements. And I would say that's sort of been the ongoing process. Like, so one engagement, maybe it's a year long, I take away what I can take away from my learnings and then I apply that to the next engagement until, you know, where I'm at now, you know, three years into the business is I have like this airtight pitch. I know exactly what I'm going to deliver to my clients. I'm not just this sort of like vague consultant who, you know, has all this experience, but not sure like what that's going to deliver to a client. I think, you know, as, I've moved forward as a consultant. The thing that I found to be the most impactful is being so crystal clear on, hey, if you work with me, here is what you are going to get. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, it's not like, hey, look at my job experience. Do you want to work with me? You know, like, that's, you know, like a strategy that I think a lot of people use. But it, it is an effective way to start a business because you're not showing them what they are going to get. So once you get out there and you use LinkedIn or whatever it is that you use to get new business, you know, you have like, you have to have this like very succinct, like, you know, if you work with me, you will have a holistic content strategy built for you and your brand. And I will execute on that strategy for you. I will get you media opportunities. I will create original content for you that is by you. Right. And it becomes so much easier to sell through because they're like, yes, I want that. You know? Yeah. I, I, I love that. Uh, I wish that more people understood how to pitch because I think there 
would be so much more success in the world. To, mm-hmm. Like you said, people just say, look at my background, but they're not telling you what they can bring to the table and the value that the company will get with working with them. So that's awesome. Totally. We're like in a beta version of your consultancy during that first project. That's great. Yeah, it really, I mean, it's funny to look back on it because when the consultancy ended, I was like, okay, you know, and I had gotten my second client and my second engagement looked totally different than my first one because I learned so much from my first one that I didn't want to make the same mistakes. Right. And I, I think I blogged about this like a long time ago in my first engagement, I spoke to the CEO of the company a total of two times in a full year. Okay. (laughs) And that was a big mistake. You know, I thought like the marketing director hired me and that was my boss, right? I came out of corporate and I was so used to the marching orders of the hierarchy where you kind of deal with your immediate supervisor, but you may or may not get any access to the CEO. You know, when you're a consultant, you have to develop a relationship with the CEO because you know, during my time in that first engagement, they changed marketing directors twice. Wow. And when, when you're a consultant and you're working in the marketing department and the marketing director gets fired, like what happens to you, right? Right. <laughs> so if you don't know the CEO, then you're screwed. And um, in my second engagement, I decided that, you know, in my future engagements, I'm going to work directly with the CEO. Like not mm-hmm. anybody else because they're making all the decisions. Right. Um, so. When you look back on your career, what is one moment that you are proud of yourself? Just so proud that you accomplished X. And I know that there's many of them, but what's one that really stands out to you? I'm trying to decide which one I want to go with. Like in when you're in your own business and you're doing your own thing, there's a lot of little wins, right? And you celebrate them by yourself a lot of times, like at your desk in front of your computer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think, I mean, one of my, one of my favorite wins, and and usually they're the first of, you know, anything, right? So the first time I published an article in SBJ, it was a big win. Like I felt so proud of myself because I was like, wow, you know, my writing apparently is good enough for this magazine. This is awesome, right? So there's like a validation there. Um, And then within my business history, the first time that I landed a speaking gig for one of my clients was a big win for me. And, And it was a big win because I didn't come out of PR or communications. I came out of business development. And I had been a writer, but, you know, what I've always felt that I've had, and, you know, I talk about this with my clients, everybody has a bit of a superpower. Mine has always been seeing the playing field sort of from a high level. Like I look down and I kind of can see where the opportunities might exist that might make sense. And I believed in my head that I could get into this business of earned media placement or, you know, what people traditionally call PR um, with little to no experience. And, um, you know, the first time I pitched a client of mine to speak on a podcast, I got a response 
within 15 minutes that was a yes. And I was like, well, then, you know, my my intuition was serving me well, because I, I was confident that I could do this. I've never done this before. But look, I just did it. You know what I mean? And um, I think that's one of my that was one of my big proud moments as a small business owner is just watching what I thought was possible actually happen. Oh, that, that's like the greatest thing ever, right? <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So if someone came you to know, you, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because as a small business owner, like you could land on your face five times out of 10, you know, but it's when you think you might land on your face and you do it anyway, and then yep. you don't. <laughs> that's like the big win you're like damn i just did that yep (laughs) and you want to shout it to the world from the hilltop or the mountain you do and i i say that i do my my elaine bennis dance alone in my office (laughs) at my house because i can't dance but i do celebrate my wins (laughs) yes um if someone came to you stating that they were about to pivot what would be three essential steps that you would share to help make that pivot successful? And I guess, I mean, the first thing is, I don't know where this person is in a pivot, but I'll start from the very beginning. So if someone is looking to make a pivot in their career, right, and maybe they're just sort of getting their ducks in a row and they're thinking to themselves, I need to move on from this position. Um, Where do I begin? Right. Um, I'm always thinking about What are the transferable skills that a person can take from one position to the next? What does the playing field look like? So like I said before, if you're looking down on a playing field, I always use soccer as a metaphor because I was a soccer player. Like where are the plays, right? Where are the opportunities going to be? Those are the ones that when you're pivoting, you need to go toward. It's very hard to pivot into a job where there isn't a lot of growth and opportunity where where there is a lot of growth and opportunity, that is where I always recommend looking to pivot, right? So whether for me, it's been in sports technology, that's a big growth industry. And one that I sort of kept paying attention to as I thought about how am I going to craft my strategy? Who are my target customers going to be? Well, I don't want to go into a pool of customers where there's no growth and opportunity, right? Yeah. I don't want to go pitch a university that I could teach for them in a department that isn't growing, right? Mm -hmm. The enrollment numbers aren't growing. And I learned that, you know, at St. Joe's, like they were launching a sports marketing major because there was a lot of interest in that from the student body. So that was a growth area. It was a new opportunity, you know, so look for things that are new, that are fresh and that are growing, right? Um, When you're pivoting and then um, paying attention to your own passions Right. So don't pivot just to do something new that isn't in line with your personal passion set, if you will. So, you know, taking inventory of not only what can you do or what have you done, but what do you really want to do and what really makes you happy as a person um, is important when you're pivoting because what I hate to see is someone make a jump from one position to the next and it be a complete mistake because it was the wrong direction for them. Like taking a new job for the wrong reason, right? Whether it's a yeah. money reason or whether it's like, 
it sounds cool. It's like, well, yeah, it sounds cool, but is this really what you want to do? Because you're going to have to probably dedicate a couple years to this. And if you're not like totally up for it, I don't recommend doing it. Um, and, you know, one other thing is, this is sort of a mantra of mine. If you send no emails, you get no emails, right? That, if you make no I phone calls, that. you get no phone calls. <laughs> yep. okay? People sit and wait for opportunities to just magically fall out of the sky. That is not realistic, okay? Um, once in a while, maybe it'll happen, right? But it's so important to you know, position yourself for success and to actually begin planting the seeds that will lead to your pivot by sending out emails to people that you can talk to that can help you get from point A to point B by making phone calls, having conversations, and just sort of doing the legwork. The more emails you send out, the more potential conversations you will have, the more people that will be in your corner when you're ready to take the leap, and the more opportunities that will present themselves. So like every single person that I speak to on the phone, not every single one, but so many of them, I'll pull a little gem out of the conversation and I'll write it down and I'll be like, you know what, that's really useful information. I didn't think of that. And all of those little elements of a strategy are the things that land you in the right place like for that, you know, that pivot that you want to successfully sort of accomplish. Yeah. I, I love that. I hear so many times, like, why isn't this happening? Well, you're not putting yourself out there. So how do people know what you're doing if you're not telling them what you're doing? So, right. yeah. Right. I, I think in your last episode, you talked about that. You talked about marketing, or at least the last one that's been published. You know, the people that really ex like excel in marketing themselves are going to essentially do better than people that aren't doing that. Yeah. And really marketing a business is the same as marketing yourself. So when you're trying to reposition yourself, which is all it is, it's just positioning exercise, right? <laughs> marketing yourself is really the act of putting out emails and making phone calls because yeah. otherwise no one knows that you're there, that you're trying to accomplish something, that you want a new position. And believe me, like, most in most cases people want to help like yeah they want to help you just need to let them know like what you're trying to do and just like sales you need to do it as many times as possible <laughs> until you get what you want <laughs> yep yep uh, the difference between successful people and non-successful people is marketing that's really all it comes mm -hmm. down to because mm -hmm. there's so many people who have way less qualifications doing what you want to do but they just know how to market themselves and put themselves out there absolutely and i think i mean that's like the perfect segue into kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? So my business has evolved into um, what I call helping my clients be seen and heard by their peers and prospects. So people that have been within the sports and entertainment industry for years, decades, right, are probably not as good as marketing themselves at marketing themselves now because the marketing landscape has changed. So... In prior years, you know, if you got a little bit of press or you got a media hit in the industry trade, that was big, right? But now, you know, 
a high-level executive, someone who has achieved a lot in their career, who has won awards for this, that, and the other, they still need to be seen and heard by their peers and prospects to remain relevant. And that's interesting because, especially with women, I mean, the majority of my interviews are with women. And so many of them talk about the imposter syndrome and how they really had to develop their self-confidence enough to say, hey, here's what I did. Here's stuff that I've won. So in your field of work, do you find that with some of the clients, you have to give them that self-confidence boost? You have to show them, hey, you've accomplished so much. These are the awards that you've won, or these are the awards that we could nominate you for. Like, Do you find that difficult with some clients and having to show them like the value and how awesome that they are? This happens every single time. <laughs> so <laughs> I love, I love that you asked this question. Um, and it's totally normal. So I went through this process myself, you know, imposter syndrome, like how could I possibly put myself out there? Why would anyone care about me and what I'm doing? And it is something that is absolutely essential. And it's something that is scary at first. And then it's like riding a bike. It's like, whoa, I can do this. This is great. This feels amazing, you know? And it feels amazing because you're getting out away from your ego. You're getting out of your head and you are just sharing yourself with the world. And I think that, you know, that's the way it should be, um, you know, when you want to truly sort of shine as the business person or the leader or whatever it is that you aspire to be. So with clients, and I, and I kid you not, I mean, every single time, and it could be someone that has been in the sports and entertainment business for 30 years, literally has won awards, has spoken at conferences, you know, has a very sizable following on social media that they really don't even know about, right? Because they've developed so much respect over the years because they're in a position that they could hire people, they can influence other people's lives, right? Um, they have a lot of power. They know they do, right? They know they do, but they're still scared. And so, yes, I have to coach them through and tell them, look at all these things you've achieved. You're a natural, you're a thought leader. I am going to give you the push that you need to do what you already know how to do, okay? Mm -hmm. And the first <laughs> the first speaking engagement, usually it clicks in quickly after that, that they can do this. Okay. But before the first speaking engagement, typically I'll give them a call and I'll say, do you have any questions? Is there anything that you need to feel more comfortable about this opportunity today? You know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but I've had clients actually break down and cry after their first interview appearance. <laughs> and it's because it's, it's a good cry, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I actually sounded good and I can do this again. I can do this. And then it becomes, like I said, like riding a bike and the value is very obvious to them because they'll start to get calls from their peers and it'll be easier to sell themselves through to their prospects because they have this credibility now 
Um, they're being seen and heard. People will say, hey, I saw you. I heard you on the podcast or I saw you. And even if they didn't listen to the podcast, I saw that you were on the podcast, right? So it's, you know, it's getting them the opportunities. It's, 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 sh- it's sharing my insight on how I believe that they should feel comfortable about marketing those opportunities, right? So it's one thing to be on a podcast and then it's another thing to actually share with the world that you were on a podcast. So it's like mm-hmm. a double step, <laughs> yep. right? It's like yep. that other step. It's like, okay, well now you were on the show. So what are you going to do with that? Like there's so many things you could do with that. It's a, it's a piece of content. It's like a gem and it has a lifespan. You can extend it as long as you want. You just got to take little bits and pieces and share them over time. And, you know, so it's, it's really something I enjoy doing so much. I really like supporting, you know, upper level executive thought leaders in this business, um, particularly women, um, because I think that it's more important now than it, you know, ever has been to get them those opportunities to have them be seen and heard by their peers and prospects and have them be seen and heard by the women that will follow in their footsteps um, who will see, right? Oh, like that's possible. I can achieve that. Look at what she's doing and she has a family and she has, has been able to do that. So I think that's really important to, you know, part of my, my business is to, you know, let it be seen and heard, you know, for the good of the future of this business. So, if someone is about to pivot, what would you think is one of the main areas of marketing that they should focus on for themselves? So in today's world, it's very important to have, this is just so tactical and basic, but important to have professional headshots. Um, when you're pivoting, when you're marketing yourself, it's a presentation and positioning game. So letting people actually see you, um, you know, putting your face and your professional headshot up on your LinkedIn profile in any marketing that you plan to do, um, you want to have a professional headshot that fits the vibe of what it is that you're trying to do. So if you're trying to go out and start an agency, you're going to want to have a different type of headshot than someone who's trying to get an upper level, like C-level position within an organization, right? It's like a different branding play. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's getting those marketing assets, getting the headshot, polishing your LinkedIn profile so that when someone lands on it or you invite them to land on it, that it is ready and they understand, you know, who you are and what you're doing or what you're trying to achieve. Um, And, you know, your resume is still relevant. I mean, I use, usually now my LinkedIn is pretty much my resume. I use some other things to market myself, but um, positioning yourself and having clarity around your value proposition. So like, what is your superpower and why are you doing what you're doing? And you know, how do you present that in a concise way? So like I say, like, what is your one sentence elevator pitch, right? Mm-hmm. That should be on your LinkedIn profile. It should be in your LinkedIn, like, you know, little bio that people see when you comment on things. Um, it's, so it's setting yourself up to look the part as you begin to pivot. Yeah. And what's on the horizon for you? 
Thank you so much for asking. So um, we have something really exciting on the horizon um, that I'm so, I'm so excited to launch this. So I am going to be starting a membership. I'm calling it a media membership experience for women influencing sports and entertainment, um, where they can come in as a client um, and basically receive opportunities to be seen and heard by their peers and prospects throughout a year um, and have my team to support them in doing so. So as you probably know, it's not a surprise that many women in any industry, but in sports and entertainment, um, you know, the ratio of male to female is out of whack, right? Yeah. We're trying to correct that. <laughs> We're trying to correct that. Um, but when you are a female in sports and entertainment, um, when you're a founder in sports and entertainment, um, what I want to do is level the playing field with regard to how many opportunities that you get, right? Um, I want, you know, the media outlets to begin to understand where the females are in this business, who they are, and call on them. So uh, through this uh, program, which I'm calling WINS, I'm going to elevate the profiles of females in sports and entertainment um, through speaking opportunities, through award submissions, right? Who wants to submit an application to give themselves an award? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And that's an ongoing problem in this business because I've been in the business and what typically happens is a lot of the words, uh, the awards that are won uh, are internal nominations and whether there's a PR department inside or not, um, someone has to fill out the nomination. Right. So I'm going <laughs> to put my hand up and say, hey, you know, if you want to work with me, I would be happy to nominate you for awards in this business. I would be happy to submit applications for speaking opportunities for you and the conferences in this business and really create a team environment around elevating the profiles of these female leaders who many of them, they have earned their place at these conferences and they've earned their place on these podcasts, right? We just need to secure those opportunities on their behalf. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Embrace the Pivot. Where can the listeners connect with you? Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Amy Sheridan. Um, my website is amysheridan.com. Everything that you need to know about me and my business, you can find there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cheryl. I, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Embrace the Pivot. Looking forward to being with you on Wednesday. Till then, keep embracing the pivot. You can follow me, Dr. C, on Instagram at Embrace the Pivot. I hope all of you embrace your pivot.